0: Isn't it always wonderful to gather and to celebrate and to sing the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ together? Say amen. Amen. Oh, that day when freed from sinning, I shall see thy lovely face, full arrayed in blood-washed linen, how I'll sing thy sovereign grace. Come, my Lord, no longer tarry, bring thy promises to pass for I know your power will keep me till I'm home with thee at last. Perfect words for our text this morning. The text this morning from First Peter, chapter one, so you can be turning there, is a text of such... Uh, encouragement. And I'm so excited to share these verses with you this morning because we are coming into a busy time. We are coming into a time of so much celebration. We're coming into a time of semesters ending and deadlines meeting and financial years ending and so much that has to be done. And in the midst of it, people can get tired and people can get discouraged And there are times we just need a word of encouragement from the Lord to keep us going for one more day. In John chapter 4, Jesus happens upon or has a a meeting with a woman at the well, the Samaritan woman as we call her. And she asks him in the midst of their conversation, she says, you know, I've been wondering. Some people say you're supposed to worship here on this mountain. Some people say it's down in Jerusalem. Which one is it? And Jesus says, well, you know, the answer currently is yes, it's Jerusalem. Salvation is of the Jews. But then he goes on to say, but it's not for much longer because a time is coming. where where worship will be in spirit and in truth. And this is where we get a phrase that I like to share with you guys when we start services very often, which is this. Worship is the response of a redeemed heart To who God is and to what He has done. You see, when we worship, we're responding to the words of the Lord. We're responding to the things that the Lord has done. And that's what we're getting here today at the beginning of our text, starting in verse 3. We're getting a doxology, we're getting a response to the goodness and the mercy and the salvation of the Lord. So this week, our sermon is called Hope for the Exiles. Last week was a greeting to the exiles. Today is Hope for the Exiles. And before we read our text and before we look at what our points will be, I want to just talk about this idea of doxology. So on gotquestions.org, the, uh, the definition we have there for doxology is this. It says, doxology is an expression of praise to God Especially a short hymn sung as part of a Christian worship service. The the word doxology comes from Greek doxa or glory splendor grandeur and logos or word or speaking so words of grandeur and splendor and glory and the only way that you can really share those kinds of words with integrity is to have this kind of understanding of how amazing God is there are many places I love to go in scripture that show the people of God as a pattern responding to the person and the work of the Lord himself and you don't have to turn here but I just want to take you to a couple of passages just to lay a foundation this morning. First, in Psalm 103, David says, "This bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. Bless the Lord, praise the Lord, praise Him. Why?" He forgives all your iniquity, heals all your diseases. He redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, satisfies you with good, so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. It's never disconnected. Praising the Lord is never disconnected from the things he says and the things he does and the way we benefit from his goodness, right? Exodus 15, right? The children of Israel have come through the water. What do they do? They sing praise to the Lord. Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord. "'For he has triumphed gloriously. "'The horse and his rider have been thrown into the sea. "'The Lord is my strength and my song, "'and he's become my salvation.'" In Romans 11, we've had 11 chapters of just the most brilliant, beautiful book of theology available on the planet. But after, if you read it, the, the chapter 11, it gets really, really thick, right? You have to really follow the argument, follow what's being said. But it's almost like Paul puts his pen down for a second and says, he and throws his head back in worship, oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? So he worships in response. Second Samuel seven. Right, the Lord has told him that the Savior is going to come from his line, and he worships. King David went in and said before the Lord, "Who am I, O Lord?" And what is my house that you have brought me this far? And what, And yet this was a small thing in your eyes, O Lord. You have spoken also of your servant's house. And as we come into a time of Christmas celebration, in Luke chapter 1, Gabriel comes to Mary after 400 years of silence, having spoken to Zechariah not, not far before that. And he tells her, you're going to give birth to the Savior. And her response is a famous, what we call the Magnificat, right? My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. He who is mighty has done great things for me and holy in his name. We're going to sing that song next week. I'm excited about that, right? Worship is the response of a redeemed heart to who God is, to what he has done. And I want you to remember from last week, Peter is writing to exiles, and not just exiles um, geographically speaking, but we're talking spiritually as well. Those who are following Christ within cultures who are living very differently. And he's writing to encourage them. And He's also writing to encourage us. Since we're in the same boat, following Jesus looks very different than living for the priorities of the world around us. So he starts the letter with worship, with a doxology, an expression of praise to God. And I want you to remember this. In the midst of difficulty in our lives, worship brings peace and encouragement. It's not just the right thing to do in order to be counted as a faithful follower of Jesus to worship in the midst of your difficulties. It is a means by which he brings us joy. He refocuses, he uh, re-centers our mind on him and off of whatever it is that we wish was over, we wish wasn't going on. Worship itself in in the Lord brings peace to us. It brings joy to us. And so let's begin now by reading our text in 1 Peter 1, 3 through 9. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And you know what I notice in all of that? There's not one imperative in that passage. We're not being told to do anything. We're being encouraged in what Christ has already accomplished and what the Lord has promised to us in the midst of trials and suffering. So this morning, I pray that this will be an encouragement. Can we pray once more before we jump into the text? I just feel like it's important, important text for us to really consider this morning. Lord God, um, there are folks here this morning that, that truly need encouragement. I pray that you would be the peace that, that people are looking for this morning. You would be the strength, the hope, the joy, Lord, for... For whatever burden uh, people have brought in this morning, that you would be the one to relieve it, to to carry it for them, to walk alongside of them. And even in your word, Lord, I pray that we would find the encouragement and let our souls be built up, Lord, and encouraged and strengthened because of the word that is proclaimed today. And uh, in that you alone would receive the glory because you alone deserve it. In Jesus' name. Amen. So our points this morning are these. Guarded by God's power. Point two is proved genuine. Point three is believe, rejoice, and love. So let's look at our first point. Guarded by God's power versus 3-5. through We're going to start just the beginning of verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. First of all, after his salutation that we looked at last week, isn't this just a beautiful way to start a letter? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm always amazed the way the Lord puts things together on a Sunday morning as well. Thinking about what Jason taught this morning, there are Trinitarian implications in this little sentence. There's also hypostatic union or the fact that Jesus is 100% man and 100% God implications in this as well. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because Jesus is fully man, the Father is God to him. Before, Because Jesus is fully God, we can refer to him as his Father. It all comes together as we understand that there are certain things in this world we can't understand, but he's consistent. Praise the Lord. He is consistent in his word. Another way to say this, blessed be the God and Father, is praise be, you'll see in some translations. Praise be to the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. The word there for praise or blessed it is, eulegatos. Uh, you, you uh, am I close on that, Pastor Allen? Pretty good. All right. All right which is literally blessed. It can be used to speak of man or of God. But in the New Testament, it's only used. It's used eight times. It's only used to talk about God. Blessed be God. So we, we like to talk about our lives as God has blessed me. I'm blessed, right? There's something he's done. And that, we can use it that way. In the Septuagint or the Greek version of the Old Testament, we see this word used uh, about people as well, that he has blessed people. But here in the New Testament, it's only talking about people people blessing, proclaiming, praising the name of the Lord. It says here in one commentary, it says, whenever men bless God, they declare that he, in his infinite excellence, is infinitely praiseworthy and express their celebration of what he is and does, Our English words, to eulogize or eulogy, the, debout, the devout heart eulogizes God, says wonderful things, understands the best and the, everything that we can consider of his goodness, and that is how we, we bless him, that we, that we proclaim his goodness, his excellent greatness, as the psalmist says. Verse 3b says, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And so here's the reason for the doxology. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, and we all affirm that. But why? Here's why. Here's what I'm trying to encourage you with today, exiles. Blessed be the Lord because in his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. And the language here, when it's born again, first of all, I want you to think about John chapter 3, right? This language starts coming into view and in, in Nicodemus' life becomes, oh, okay, this is something I need to consider. So Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night. Obviously, the Lord's doing something in his heart. So he sneaks over to talk to him and he says, you know, People are saying you could be sent from God because, you know, no man can, no normal man can do the works you're doing. Rather than have a lengthy conversation between, he cuts right to the chase and replies with, unless a man's born again, he'll never see the kingdom of heaven. And this is something that Nicodemus wrestles with. What do you mean? Like, how can you go and just, like, be born as a person again? That word for born again actually speaks more of, like, being begotten, right? So produced, generated. Not simply the day you're born and it's your birthday and now you're walking the planet, but the day that, like, so you're... you We know that life begins at conception. Life is a new thing created by God from previous life. And just like you are born that first time and created in your mother's womb that first time as the new birth of salvation is also from the Lord himself. We were dead in our trespasses and sin and God made us alive in Christ. One way to think about this, I was completely blown away back when I was a band director, and I also taught Bible at Providence School. And I remember we were taught, we were having a we were having a whole series on on creationism. And so we were watching a video together and watching how a caterpillar becomes a butterfly. And I've never really sat and contemplated this. Like, how does it happen? I always just assumed it goes in the cocoon, cocoon, right? Grows some wings, come back out, and like, look at me now, right? Right? You never thought I could see. Sorry, at the bottom, now I'm here. But he comes out. You know what happens? Completely melts down. It melts down into a liquid. What in the world? It's the caterpillar that grows this cocoon, and inside of it, it becomes an entirely new thing. But it's same, in a sense, it's still the caterpillar, it's still the same stuff, right? And then it grows, it emerges with completely different eyes, more complex eyes. It even eats differently than it used to. The caterpillar chomped on leaves, the butterfly now drinks like the sugar or the honey from inside a a, a flower. It's kind of amazing, right? He has caused us to be born again, right? So you're still... You're still Molly Champagne, but now you're, in a way, but now you're Molly Champagne 2.0. You're still Alan Cagle, but now you're Alan Cagle 2.1, right? Or, (laughs) I mean, he's a pastor. I don't know. I don't know if that's doctrinally correct. Don't write me any letters. All right. So he's caused us to be born again to a living hope. Everything about Jesus Christ is life. It's a living hope he's been, he's called us to light and peace and love and enjoy. And in bringing our soul to life, the Lord gives us ultimate hope. Outside of Christ, our hope is dead. And we hope in a lot of things. Consider for a minute, I'm not going to go down the biblical counselor rabbit hole today of all of the things we can live for instead of the Lord, but just consider to yourself, what are the things that are most important to you? And how is that going for you? Are they are they really paying off the things in which you have put your hope other than the Lord himself? They are dead hopes. They will not pay off. Every one of them will corrupt, right? Jesus talked about don't put your treasure On earth, where moth and rust corrupts and thieves break in and steal. He says, keep your treasure in heaven where moth and rust can't corrupt, where thieves do not uh, break in and steal. It's a waste of time. It's a waste of energy, and it gets us nothing to live for a hope that is dead. And so when we are born again in Christ, we are born to a living hope. Remember that grace and peace Peter mentioned one verse ago that we talked about last week that's available to you abundantly if you are in Christ? He says you're called to a living hope or born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And this was secured when he rose again. Our hope is in his fulfilled promises that he said he would do it, and he did. Our hope is in the fact that Jesus is who he says he is. And our living hope applies to past, present, and future in our life. Our living hope, first of all, we have hope in the past that our our sins have been erased, they've been forgiven, cast to the depths of the sea, and he remembers them no more. Our sins, they are many, his mercy is more. The present in that we know that all things work together for good, for those that love him and are called according to his purpose. And future in the fact that we know that he is coming back. Is that amazing that we can consider this, that Jesus Christ is coming back, verse 4, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. So as we said, any earthly inheritance is subject to rot. If you inherit a house, it's not going to last forever. You inherit a car, you inherit money. There are people in other countries with lots of money in wheelbarrows and it'll barely pay for, for a loaf of bread, right? You cannot put your hope in any of the things that you can inherit that are earthly. But we have inherited a, a living hope, something that will never decay, never perish. And what is our inheritance? Your mind may first go to heaven. I get to go to heaven. Yes, that's a wonderful thing. We get to go to heaven, right? We'll spend eternity in the new heavens and the new earth, right? And it will be wonderful. There will be no more crying, no more tears. But why? Why is heaven heaven? Because Jesus is there. That's why it's heaven. This is the inheritance that we are looking for. This is the inheritance we are waiting for. This is the inheritance that we can know that whatever we're going through today It has an end date on it. It's not going to last forever. And there is coming infinite joy and infinite peace, not in just because there'll be stuff I want or things I want to do or whatever, no more worrying about anything. No, because you'll be finally with Jesus. The place your soul longs to be is with him forever. Our inheritance is secure. Jesus Christ is with us, and one day we will be with him in perfect unity. Your joy is He doesn't just give us joy. Jesus must be your joy. He doesn't just give us peace. Jesus is your peace. He is your strength. He is your righteousness. He is the inheritance that we are longing for you know in grace abounding to the chief of sinners john bunyan's uh, autobiography he talks about just wrestling for so long with even becoming a follower of jesus christ and then once you know after about a third of the book you get so excited finally he's a christian he loves jesus you get to be happy with him for like 5 minutes before things go way south on the guy and he starts to have these terrible blasphemous thoughts that he says i i really i almost couldn't control them i would utter things about you know mistrusting the Bible or who Jesus is and it would just eat him alive and he would have days where he'd repent and have good days and then fall back into it but finally he says it was if out of heaven the words came to me thy righteousness is kept for you in heaven. And it hit me. I cannot destroy the righteousness God's given me because I can't even touch it. It's not mine. It's Christ himself so far beyond my reach. So here I am trying to live this Christian life. I must have this assurance that he is going to keep me. He will hold me fast, as the song says, right? And just like our inheritance, it says here, it's kept for us in heaven, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Who is being guarded? Followers of Jesus Christ. Exiles, both then and now, are being guarded. The saints will persevere because the saints are being preserved by God's very power. God's power And aren't you glad this morning, when you think about it, that your salvation is not being preserved by your power? (laughs) You know, one famous theologian says, you know, if I could lose my salvation, I would. It's that simple, right? It must be God that holds holds it securely for us. Aren't you glad that it's not being uh, held secure by your boss's power or your spouse's power or your sister's power, right? But by the power of the Lord himself is being held secure in heaven for you. God himself guards our salvation through faith, which our faith is being proved to be genuine each and every day. So point number two is that uh, is proved to be genuine. Verses six and seven So here's where the encouragement meets real life in this. This is what you rejoice in, that God has caused you to be born again to a living hope. We can rejoice in the midst of trials. This is not merely speaking of small things. It says even though you've been grieved, right? To be grieved, that's not something we should pass over. So when things are kind of hard, I get it. If life is a little hard, I stub my toe, I don't have quite enough money to pay my bill next week, you know, someone was mean to me and I don't know what we're going to do about that. I feel anxious every time I I think about it. Those kinds of things. Now, he says, even though you've been grieved by various trials, this carries with it loss. The loss of a loved one, the loss of, of, of a dream maybe in your life. Something not going in a major way, the, thought you, the way you thought it was going to go. He says, you can rejoice even though you've been grieved by various trials. And I think it's interesting, these two poles that are put into this one verse, rejoicing and grieving. You know, it doesn't have to be one or the other, right? If you're going through a time of grief, you can still look for the joy in Christ. You can still find it. And I think you can look around this room and see people that you've seen walk through some very difficult things and think to yourself, oh my goodness, this person, I know they're hurting. But he or she, they just have joy in Christ. There's, it's sustaining them. It's like there's a bottom to the pit, right? So when you're grieving, and it just seems like, you know, people who grieve, as the Bible says, without any hope, it's like there's no, there's no bottom to that grief. It just you sink lower and lower and lower. But when your eyes are on Christ, it's like there's, there's a reprieve there. It, it can only go so far, right? And you know that he's holding you. He's holding you securely, As exiles, we long for a time when there's no more sickness, no more death, no more trials. We long for it because we were made for it. We should long for it. There will be no grief because there will be nothing to grieve over when Christ returns the living hope to which we have been born again in christ reminds us that this is not the end and that there is an end to a, our grief and jesus is coming back verse 7 so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of jesus christ he's saying that when we walk through trials our our faith is being proved genuine we like to say i'm being tested i'm being tried but i love that terminology your, your faith is being proved genuine. So you have this assurance. I've walked through this, and I'll come out the other side, and I love Jesus more than ever. It's, it's galvanized. It's been strengthened, purified, has been proved genuine. Faith is a precious gift, and it's even more precious than gold. And he says it's like tested the way gold is tested. So gold is a precious metal, right? It, just, it doesn't seem to lose its value. Everyone says invest in gold. But when it, you first find the gold, You know, it's got impurities in it. It's not perfect. It's not ready to go. It's not ready to to use and to to buy and sell most likely or to put into jewelry or however you want to use it. Um, You put it into a crucible, something that can, it's almost 2,000 degrees, something that can take that. You put it in, you boil it, and that's how you get the impurities out. And I heard one story one time about a, a jeweler teaching, a younger jeweler said, you know, we have to purify this gold before we can use it. He says, okay, great, let's do it. So he takes him through the process, puts the piece of gold in the crucible, puts it in, keeps taking out and looking at it, keeps taking out and looking at it, right? Purifying it. The guy says, how do you know when the gold is purified and you're done? He says, when I look and I see my reflection in it, when I can see my face reflected in it. That's how we know. He is purifying our hearts that he may see his reflection in us. It's the process of sanctification. He's making us more and more like Jesus. And this results in praise and glory and honor, or what you would say an eternal weight of glory. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18 says, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day, for this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. When you are going through a difficulty in your life, a lot of times it's unique to you. Right? We do see in First Corinthians thirteen that we go through similar difficulties. When we go through something, there are other people who God has brought through these same types of difficulties. But your life is not like anybody else's in the way that he takes you through and makes you more like Jesus. And you need to understand, it's preparing for you an eternal weight of glory. You will worship Jesus Christ and see facets of his beauty in a different way because of what you've gone through and what he's carried you through. Be encouraged in that. Brothers and sisters, be encouraged in that. So finally, believe, rejoice, love is our final point. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You know, Peter has seen him and loves him. So I think of the encouragement of Peter being an elder statesman now. You know, remember we talked about last week just how far he came, just how he came from that from that almost um, gullible or naive, kind of talks too much, says too many things, finally denied the Lord after promising he wouldn't, restored, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Now we're about 30 years later after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and he's encouraging these believers and saying, listen, I, I saw him. I lived with him. You haven't seen him and you love him. Be encouraged in that. He's not telling them to do anything. He's actually just strengthening them and reminding them you are in Christ. There are so many times that we just sit around wondering, like, what if I'm not saved? What if I'm not a Christian? Do you want to follow Jesus today? Great. Don't worry about yesterday. Don't worry about if you meant it when you walked the of Camp when you were 12 years old. Oh, do you want to follow Jesus today? Do you love him? right? He says you love him even though you have not seen him. So he's strengthening these believers with encouragement. He's telling them in your trials you can focus your heart on Jesus Christ. This one that you love and have put your faith in is going to be there for you both now and even more so in eternity when he returns. In your trials focus on him. Loving and trusting him will result in joy. Joy that is inexpressible. Okay I want you to think about this as I read it. Joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. And I do want to ask you, as you're watching everyone's preparations this week and Thanksgiving's coming up, and like, is there anyone here today that's thinking, like, where, where's my inexpressible joy? Like, joy that is filled with glory. I just want to encourage you in this. You're not the only one that feels that way. It's really, it's really easy to put on the happy face that everything's good, everything's fine. The beauty of the church is that we can share with one another the things we're going through, the difficulties, right? We can walk arm in arm, encourage one another. When one is strong and another one's weak, say, you walk with me for a while because I know I'm going to need it next year. You know, we help one another. You're not the only one. And I want you to consider again, what is the hope? What is it that you want? Is there something that you're sick over that's causing discontent or bitterness or anger? This is not a call for me to say put down your idols. It's a call for me to encourage you and say the resurrection of Jesus Christ allows you to do so. He's already won the victory. He has conquered sin and death and the grave. And so much of our discontent and so much of us just looking around and wondering why our life isn't like that life or why did I choose this path and all of these different things is because we're hoping in other things. When you're hoping in Christ, you realize that he's kept in heaven for you. Your inheritance is kept, it's promised, it's secure. So be faithful today in Christ. You have a living hope, an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. And that inheritance is Christ himself, who is yours now, but much more, even more so fully when he returns. And this morning, if you don't know Jesus Christ, like if you are listening, when I I read these things, you're like, I don't get it, I... I'm not sure about knowing Jesus Christ. You need to understand, Jesus says, come to me. He says, repent of your sin and follow me. We were born sinners, every single one of us. David says in Psalm 51, in sin did my mother conceive me. Even from the moment of conception, he had this sin nature. And there's nothing we can do about it. We are separated from God because of our sin. And not simply the sins we do, but the sins that permeate our soul. It's who we are. But Jesus Christ came and lived a perfect life that you and I could never live. He died a death on the cross that you and I rightfully deserve to die. And he rose again three days later conquering sin and death and the grave. And he says, repent, turn, follow me. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. He'll give you a new heart. and In this life, he will be with you through each and every trial. Make you more like himself. And finally, for eternity, you'll be with him worshiping around the throne. And if you want to talk to someone about what it means to follow Jesus, or if you're following Jesus and you just need some encouragement, you need someone to pray with you, or you need to talk about some things with someone, please, we'll be up here at the end of the service to talk. But let's pray, and then we'll sing one more song together. Lord, And uh, your word uh, is a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. And today we've just gotten to enjoy the fact that your, your word promises that you're with us, that to any of you who are in Christ, there is an inheritance that is unperishable, Lord, that is kept by your power waiting for us in heaven, Lord. I pray that that would be encouragement today. I pray that we would cast our cares on you. I pray that we would... Um, find our true hope our peace our strength our joy in the person and work of jesus christ that our life would be worshiped as a response to who you are to all you have done be glorified in decisions that are made and 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 the way that people contemplate and consider what's been spoken today uh, for your glory and we love you in jesus name amen